This series is important to every one of our lives. The truth is, our lives are part of something much greater than we understand or can imagine. Now, let's learn about the kingdom of God and how we play into it. Now, as I say it's a new series, I have to tell you, it's not completely new. It's actually a series that I preached about four years ago, and we're doing a remake of it. And uh, you may ask, why would I preach on something I've preached on before? Especially for those of you that were here four years or longer ago and would say, oh, no. Well, I want you to know this isn't just so that I can reuse my old notes and have an easier few weeks. Uh, The truth is, anytime I look at my old notes, I discover I don't like them very much and don't think I did a very good job. So it's actually more work for me to improve them than it is to start something new from scratch. But the reason that we need to talk about this is because the topic is so important. The truth is, it's something we should talk about more than every four years. Because it is something that is larger and, and involves every single one of us. To kind of give you an idea and illustration, I put a chessboard here on uh, the stage because I love to play chess, but that's not the only reason that it's actually, it's not the reason at all that it's on the stage. Do I have anybody in the room that loves to play chess? Any chess players? There you go. You have been remarkably consistent in every service. Chess players quietly and slowly raise their hands without making a single sound. Very deliberate, and they don't want any attention drawn to themselves or the move that they are making. But anyway, back to the point. I've got a couple of pieces here. For those of you that play chess, you'll know what these are. Those of you that do not play chess, then I'll help you out. This is a rook, and uh, I love rooks at the end of a game. Uh, They're one of the best pieces that you can have for boxing your enemy in as you go for the kill and limiting their movement. This, on the other hand, is a bishop, which I happen to think is a cool-looking piece and also a very cool name, and I'm just curious. Could I be Bishop Jimmy? Would that be okay? Could, Could we do that? No, let's, let's not do that. But back to the point, a bishop does something different. And so the truth is, I don't like to have a bishop at the end of a game because it tends to allow my enemy to escape. And so because of that, I am going to protect my rooks at all costs, and I am likely to sacrifice and trade away a bishop somewhere in the middle of the game. And the thing that I wonder sometimes as I'm playing is, what if they knew that? What if they realize that a move I make with one of them at one point will determine what I will do with another one of them at another point? What if they realized that it's not just about them? That there's actually something much larger taking place and they're only one part of a much bigger picture. The reason I give you that illustration is because that is exactly what is taking place in the realm in which we live. What we are encountering and experiencing every day of our lives is the battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. There are much greater forces at work than simply where you go to work and where you go on vacation. Our lives are part of something huge. And if we can understand that, what an impact we could have. How much better we could play into the hand that God has given us if we actually understood that that's what he's doing. And so we're beginning to take this time to talk about the kingdom of God. And I want you just to think about this. This is really an astounding fact. Jesus talked about the kingdom of God more than he did anything. Think about that. God in heaven chooses to take on human form, come down to the earth. Yes, he will die on the cross to pay for the sins and save his people. 
Yes, he will be raised from the dead to give them eternal life. But before he did either of those, for his entire time upon the earth, he preached about one thing more than anything else, the kingdom of God. As our gospels record it, which again is only a portion of the picture, 113 times alone he mentions the phrase, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, which are the same. If God in heaven is going to come down to earth and talk about one thing more than anything else, and every one of us is a small part of that, don't you think we should have the best understanding of this that we possibly could? Matter of fact, some people would even argue, I would be one of them, that everything else Jesus talked about was just an aspect of the kingdom of God. That every miracle he did was a demonstration of the power of the kingdom of God. And I would have a good case to argue everything was simply about him bringing the kingdom of God upon the earth, which is still happening in the world today. But many of us would look around at our world and say, Jimmy, have you not noticed the headlines? Have you not seen how incredibly broken our world is? How can you say that the kingdom of God is coming upon the earth? If you look at our world today, most of us would actually say, we, we've heard that God wins in the end. If you're a believer, you know that God wins in the end, but it sure looks like he's scrambling to keep up right now. It doesn't look like the kingdom of God is very close or at hand. My wife watches very different TV shows for me, and that's all I'll say about that at the moment. But because of that, I'll often be in the room with her as she's watching something, and, and it'll pique my interest why something just happened. And so I'll ask the question, why did that person do that, or who are they? Now, most people get irritated when someone interrupts their show, right? I get very irritated if someone interrupts my show with a question. I'm thinking, if you want to ask me something about my show, you should have been watching it with me from the beginning so you're not bothering me right now because right now you're irritating me. My wife is very different. She gets excited because she thinks I'm taking interest in her show and may watch it with her in the future. No, I just want to know what's going on. And I won't care after that. But see, the reality is every single one of us will ask a question, what is going on? Because in order to know what is going on, what, you, you have to know what has already happened. You have to stop and ask these questions. And so today what we're going to do as we lay the foundation for the kingdom of God is we're going to talk about this messed up world we live in and we're gonna answer the very simple question, how did we get here? And if you wanna know how you got here, you have to ask what's already happened. And so that's where we're going to begin in Scripture. But we're actually going to take one step back and make sure that before we answer how we got here, I want to make sure everybody understands according to Scripture where here actually is. And we'll show you this out of Luke chapter 4. And it's what we refer to as the temptation of Christ. So the devil took him, Jesus, up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And said to him, to you, I will give all this authority for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. In the next sentence in scripture, Jesus did not say, -uh, it's not yours. He didn't say that because he knew that it was his. He knew that even though the devil is a liar, this was one of the truest statements that ever came out of his mouth. Everything on the earth had been given to him and all the authority that went with it, which is why the Bible says that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So that's where here is. The question is, how did our world get so broken? The answer is because Satan has legitimate authority to rule and to act in our world. 
So let's find out how that happened. In order to do so, we need to go back to the beginning. The truth is, we need to go back to before the beginning. Because as you and I refer to time, time is our construct. It is how we perceive our existence in the world. The truth is God exists outside of time. So we're going to go back to before the words in the beginning. We're going to go back to where God sits perfectly, peacefully upon his throne. And he made a decision. He made a decree. I will create the heavens of the earth. I will create many things to fill it, but especially I will create mankind in my image and he will rule upon the earth. So we see in Genesis 1, it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Really interesting word choice there. And have dominion. We'll come back and talk about those two words in a moment. But theologically, we refer to this as the dominion mandate. This is the moment where God creates all of the world. God creates mankind and he gives mankind stewardship and authority over everything. Matter of fact, other parts of scripture confirm this. Psalms 115 says the highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to mankind. Mankind has all authority. Mankind is supposed to rule upon this beautiful and perfect earth. Everything is exactly as it should be. I mean, if you could just imagine the beauty of God's creation at this point, if anybody's ever been to the Caribbean and the white sand and the blue water, and you can look down and you can see the most beautiful fish and, and, and everything swimming, and you can even see your toes, the water is so clear, and you think to yourself, the people at Myrtle Beach have no clue of the glory of God. Maybe you've stood on a mountaintop. Maybe you're more of a mountain person than a shore person. And you look across and you see the different mountain peaks layered as far as the eye can see and blues and greens and grays and clouds in between and the sun shining over them. And you go, the glory of God is amazing. Maybe you take a hike through the forest in those mountains and you, you see a waterfall that is so beautiful as it splashes down upon everything and the, the lush greenery is amazing and, and even a deer standing over there in the woods and you say, this is just so beautiful. And I could say, imagine it before the fall. Imagine it when it actually was perfect. Imagine it when God created it and he gave it to Adam and Eve and he said, you have all authority over it. Now rule over it. Subdue it. What? Why would you need to subdue that which is perfect? Because it turns out trouble existed that Adam didn't even know about. Let's go back again to the beginning. God created the heavenly hosts as well. God created three chief archangels as he created the angelic beings. One of them, his name is Michael. We see Michael showing up in Scripture in places where there is great warfare. Come on, any soldiers in the room? Oh, yeah, come on, no, no, okay. Weak men today. What is up with y'all? That was your moment. Y'all got to come on with that. And we'll read more about Michael in a moment. I'll give you another chance to cheer for Michael. We read about a guy named Gabriel. Matter of fact, Gabriel is the one that Linus tells us about if you've ever watched the greatest Christmas cartoon ever made. Because Gabriel's job is to be a messenger. But then there was one other. Scripture says that he was among the most beautiful of all things God ever created. And his job was to lead the host of heaven in worship to God. And as he led the host of heaven in worship and he experienced a taste of all the glory that was going to God, he said in his heart he wanted it for himself. 
Here's how scripture records the moment. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Because of his desire to take God's place that is reserved for God alone, he was thrown out of heaven. We see this story told to us in the book of Revelation. We think Revelation is all about the end. The majority of it is. But this piece of Revelation actually was a story that took place at the beginning. It said, and there was war in heaven. Michael, you missed your chance again, and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war and they were not strong enough. Somebody say amen to that. And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And sadly, woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. Satan, cast out of the heavens, thrown down to the earth. A beautiful creation it was, but nonetheless, far from the glory of God, far from the fellowship with God that he had once experienced. And you can imagine the anger that begins to rise up with him, the, the seething bitterness as he stands there and he watches history play out. God takes this beautiful thing that he's made and then he takes it all and gives it to that man, that woman. How dare he? I was among the three, the best of all he ever created, the most beautiful of any. And he thinks I wasn't worthy to rule, that he could cast me down and yet he's gonna give it all to them? Doesn't he know who they are? Doesn't he know what they're capable of? Well, I will just show him what they're capable of. And he has a plan. Comes to mind. God gave everything to them. Maybe I can never be the most high. Maybe I can never have his place. But I tell you what, I can get them. And when I get them, I'll get everything he ever gave to them. I'll be their God. I'll be God upon this creation. And as far as anyone else is concerned... I'll be quite high. So Satan sets out to implement his plan. He appears as a serpent in the garden and makes Eve believe she'd be better off doing it her own way. Makes Eve believe God didn't even have his best in mind for her. That actually the whole plan was just to keep Eve down and to keep her from her greatness. His plan worked. She did the one thing God said not to do. We see this in Genesis 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden. And I'm going to pause right there because I just want to take a moment and point out that what we hear when people talk about why they would not want to come to church with you, why they would not want to be a believer, maybe some of you here today are still struggling with this very same thought is we have the idea that God is a mean God sitting upon his throne. He is keeping us from all things good. He sets all these rules in place. You can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't have any fun in life. All he's trying to do is keep you down. And that wouldn't be further from the truth. 
It's one of the most incredible lies the devil has ever implemented. I want to remind you what God did in the beginning. He created a perfect world, everything. And he says to Adam and Eve, you can have any of it. You can have all of it, everything but one. This one is the only thing you can't have to simply remind you that I am God and you are not. But to show you how good I am, I give you all of creation. You have total dominion over all of it. You can have it. You can enjoy it. You can do anything with it. Just don't touch this one so that you'll remember to look up and say, thank you. Good God, you are amazing, but you are still God and I am not. He's a good God. Don't ever let the devil convince you otherwise. Only one could they not have out of all of creation. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so they did. And the result, two things were lost that day that we are fighting to reclaim ever since. Mankind is lost. Our relationship with God has been broken. No longer do we walk in the perfect garden in the cool of the day and talk to him as we would one another. And the earth is lost. Mankind's authority has been given away. And as we said, the Bible even declares, now the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And if you're like me at this point, as you're reading scripture, you think, wait a minute. Are you, are you serious, Jimmy? One piece of fruit. Maybe only one bite of one piece of fruit and now it's all gone. Everything has been given to the devil. Everything. Satan has it all. And, and mankind has lost all because of one piece of fruit. And I would say yes. The problem is we don't understand what happened that day. Because we don't understand what happened that day, we mislabel what happened that day. Many of us would say, well, it was just one little sin. It was just a sin. The truth is, a lot of us would not even say it was one little sin. We don't like the word sin. We try to avoid the word sin. We prefer to use the word mistake. Well, I made a mistake. She just made a mistake. The problem is sinners need a savior. Mistakers just need to get it right. And so we don't understand what took place. But even if you're willing to use the word sin, let me go one step further. That's not the best label. The best label is rebellion. At that moment, they decided that God's authority would not do. How dare you tell us we can't have that? We have it on good authority from this serpent over here that you are only trying to keep us from being as great as you. You don't have our good in mind. You simply want to keep us down. How dare you? We won't listen to you. Our reasoning will be far above your words. And they rebelled against the authority of God. See, that's what went wrong. Because until that day, God was in authority. Man was under God's authority. And man was in authority because man was under God's authority and everything was perfect. But then mankind rebelled against God's authority. God said, don't. They did. And in that moment, when they rejected God's authority, they lost all the authority they had ever been given because it was a gift from God himself. And that is how we got here. My pastor preaches maybe one phrase more than anything else, more loudly than any other. He developed a whole college course 
around the kingdom of God concept. And one thing that he has preached so many times that I'll never forget, and I'll thank him for it, I'm going to share with you today, might be the most important thing that you could ever know. Authority is the most fundamental principle in the universe. Did y'all hear that? Authority is the most fundamental principle in the universe. It is what went wrong that day. It is what was missed. Everything is all about authority. It's what Adam and Eve gave away. It's what you and I are supposed to regain. I'd ask the question, do you have authority? I'd ask the question, are you under authority? Have you given away authority? Whose authority are you under? You can't say nobody because we are either under God's authority willingly or trapped under Satan's against our will. Every moment of life is either an act of submission to authority or rebellion against it. There is nothing else. I know we spend a lot of our time thinking that we're just doing normal American things. We're just going about life and we're just having the experiences that everyone else had. That is not the case. I'm sorry to tell you. Something as simple as teenagers, when your parents say you need to be home by 11 p.m. and you think that's too early, I'm going to stay out. I'll just get a little bit of trouble. It's not that big a deal. The problem is, It's not just your parents that said be home at 11. It is that God said obey your parents for this is right. And so when you choose to not come home at 11, you're not just saying no to your parents, you're saying no to God. It is rebellion against the authority of God in your life. How about the adults in the room that get to say 11 p.m.? You're probably responsible to someone like the IRS. Some of us would say, well, the IRS is just the man. We should get back at the man. We don't trust the IRS, or maybe that's, I don't know if you deserve to not trust them or not, but I know this, God says, obey all authorities because there's not one that hasn't been instituted by him, and he goes further to say, do not steal. So when you make up numbers and fudge numbers and round numbers, and they're all in your favor so that you can stick it to the IRS, it's not just a few extra pennies for you. It's not just some government conglomerate that you're keeping from stealing from you. You are rebelling against the authority of God. And I could keep going, but you'd eventually throw things at me. Every moment of life is either an act of submission to authority or rebellion against it. Authority is the most fundamental principle in the universe. It's what was lost that day. It is the fight that you and I are fighting every day to get it back, to get God's back on the earth and to get back what God gave to us. That is the great war of chess in which you and I live every day. So what does this mean for us now? It means we need to get that back. We need to get back all that was lost. Remember, two things were lost. Mankind was lost and the earth was lost. All authority with them. So it starts with this. You need to understand the Bible tells us that when we are born, we are born lost. We are born trapped in the kingdom of darkness. Matter of fact, the Bible says that when we are saved, when we become a believer in Jesus, it says we are rescued from the dominion of darkness, the kingdom of darkness, and we are brought into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of his dear son, taken out of the kingdom of darkness, brought into the kingdom of his son. The Bible makes it very clear. There is no stopover kingdom. There's nowhere in the middle for just good people trying to do just good things. There is no middle earth. There is no place for just good red-blooded Americans. A lot of us tend to think the kingdom of darkness is for Satan worshipers and the kingdom of God is for preachers and the rest of us are just the normal people. There is no normal. There is lost thanks to the beginning, all authority given away, and there is found thanks to what Jesus did on the cross. 
We have to redeem what has been lost. And I know some of you, if you're new to church and this is the first time you're hearing this, you say, how dare you say that I am in the kingdom of darkness? I am a good person and I try to do the right thing and I do the right thing anytime that I can. I promise you that and I'd say yes and that's great. Many of us are good people trying to be good enough. But we have two problems. Number one, no matter how good you are, you can never make every thought, every attitude, every choice perfect enough to be the same as a perfectly holy God. No matter how good you are, you are not perfectly holy. And the second thing is, this is not necessarily about your efforts to be good. This is about something that happened before you were born. Just as much as you may be born with the last name Smith and think I would much rather be a Johnson, it doesn't matter. You'd rather be whatever the name is, Fancher. You want to be a Fancher? Everybody wants to be a Fancher, right? I mean, come on, you know? Imagine that heritage. Imagine that man praying for you every day as a child. We'd all rather be a Fancher than a Smith, but too bad. And so by the same point, you are born in the kingdom of darkness and you can hate it, but too bad. It's where your birth certificate is declared. And so the first thing that we have to do is recognize the idea of regaining the authority that God has given to us only applies for citizens of the kingdom. And so every single person at some point in time needs to look at Jesus hanging on the cross as we are trapped in the kingdom of darkness and say, thank you for rescuing me from this darkness. Will you be my savior? And at that moment, you are transferred into the kingdom of God. You become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and you begin to fight this war to bring the authority of God back into your life and into this world. But it begins there. And if there's anyone here who has never made that decision to make Jesus your king, you need to understand you are on the wrong side of history. You are trapped. You were born there. Whether you did anything or not, it's another subject for another day, but you were born there and you need to say, Jesus, for all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved and brought into the kingdom of his son. Before we leave today, I will give you an opportunity to do that if you've never done that. For the rest of what I'm going to say, we're going to talk to those who are in the kingdom of God. They know they are in the kingdom of God because they know they have called upon the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins and eternal life. You are, hear me, you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. There are times where I travel and I I have an American passport. There are times where I travel and my American passport does me a lot of good. And I am very, very grateful that it helps me. There are places where I travel and it does not do me a lot of good. And I think, well, that stinks. But nonetheless, you need to understand you have a better passport than anything the earth could ever offer. You have a passport that says the citizen of the kingdom of God. Nonetheless, with that passport, we are still fighting a battle. And what we are called to do is regain all that is lost. And so for you and me, we need to heed the warning that Adam missed. Let's go back to this warning. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over it. I told you I wasn't, uh, that we would come back to these words. I'm going to do something I don't normally do. If you've been around Grace Life, you know that I never give you the word in the original language. I never tell you the Hebrew or the Greek word. I may tell you what it means, but I never tell you the word because when you walk out these doors, knowing a Greek word probably does you absolutely no good unless you're taking a vacation to Greece next week. It's not going to help. But today I'm going to tell you two words. They're both Hebrew because this is the Old Testament. This first word that we see here, subdue, the Hebrew word is actually kabosh. And I'm going to tell you why you're going to remember that in just a moment. But what it means is to force something into submission, to bring it into submission by force. 
And the phrase have dominion is the Hebrew word radah, starts with an R, which I hope you remember it means to rule over, also starts with an R. Radah, rule over, kabosh, to force something into submission. The reason I tell you that word is because I want to make something memorable, and you're going to remember this, because we have a phrase in our world we still use today that is based upon this Hebrew word from thousands of years ago. Anyone ever heard the phrase, put the kibosh on something? I see heads nodding already. Everybody gets it. Put the kibosh on something. To put the kibosh on something means to force something into submission. Go figure. To bring to a decisive end something that is not submitted. An example would be when little Johnny runs into the living room to tell his dad that his big brother and all of their friends are are throwing rocks through windows of the abandoned building down the street. And dad jumps up and says, I'll put the kibosh on that. Maybe you're a business owner and you're in the middle of a deal, but you find out the other side has snuck something into the contract that's going to get you once it's over. And you go, I'll put the kibosh on that. You pick up the phone, you call the lawyer and stop it right there. You and I have been called to kibosh and radah our world. We have been called to force into submission to God's word anything that opposes it. Anything that we would encounter that would stand against this, we need to heed the warning that Adam missed. Adam should have been looking at this perfect world and going, wait a minute. I realize the world's just beginning, but you just made it and it's perfect. And I know that that word means force into submission. There's nothing out there that's not under your authority. What are you talking about? Adam should have noticed there was a problem. You and I see it all around us. We don't have to ask the question because we know God's authority. And all around us today, we see things that are not submitted to God's authority. And we have been called to put the kibosh on that. And then once we have, we're called to rule over it. To maintain God's authority as the highest authority. What that means is that we begin with ourselves. I know many of you were excited. You couldn't wait to to get on an airplane, go halfway around the world, and to, to bring kibosh to a place where worship is not free. Many of you are excited to go home and talk to your neighbor to tell them what is wrong with their lives. Tell them how they can put the kibosh on the way that they're living. And I hate to tell you, that is not where it begins. We may get to some of that by the end of the series, but where it begins is right here. In your living room, for those of you that are at home, those of you that are in the room, it begins with you and me, each one of us, when we look in the mirror. Putting the kibosh on that which stands opposed to God begins with our very own soul. We talk about our soul, we're referring to our mind, our will, and our emotions. There's three things, mind, will, and emotions. What that means is we begin with our mind. Any thoughts that I have, any reasoning that I have, my place to bring the kingdom of God upon the earth begins when I put the kibosh on any reasoning I have that stands opposed to God's authority. It's got to start right there. There will be nothing that is higher than this in my mind. And then I move to my will. Any desires I have that stand opposed to this, I have to put the kibosh on those desires and bring them in line with God's will for my life. And then, then I move to my feelings, my emotions. Any feelings I have that would stand opposed to God's authority, I have to put the kibosh. When I feel like anger because someone has done something to me, but God says, forgive because you've been forgiven. My feelings must be forced into submission to God's authority. 
my mind, my will, and my emotions. I must first begin kabashi right here. And then we must begin to rule over Radah. We must rule over the world that God has given us. And the world that God has given you begins again right here with your body. Some of you would say, no, Jimmy, your body is you. I'd say, no, you exist in your body. Your body is simply the vehicle God has given you in this world. And if you're a believer, this is actually the temple of the Holy Spirit that God has given you. We have to rule over this. That's why the Bible tells us that anything I do in my body should be a living sacrifice, an act of worship for God. That it's not about what pleases me. Definitely if it dishonors God. It means that I have to rule over, redah my finances, that they will serve God, not my materialism. I have to rule over my home, that it's a place where God will be worshipped. I have to rule over my business. It's a place where the ways of God will be exalted. I have to rule over my values, that they would be the same as God's. And as we talk about ruling over, you need to know a key truth. You cannot rule over an enemy that rules over you. You can never rule over an enemy that rules over you. You see, our issues and struggles in life, everything that's broken in the world around us, it is not a power fight with the devil. It's an authority issue with God. Every piece of brokenness that you and I experience, everything that is wrong in the world around us is not a power fight with a big bad devil. An authority issue with God. We have left his. I know that what I'm preaching could not be more unpopular with an American audience. Our whole nation is founded upon the very principle of looking at an authority and saying, we know better than you, but we'll be our own. We'll never allow an authority to rule over us. We can't vote out. We will always be our highest authority. Our reasoning is best. And please don't misunderstand me and send me emails. I love my country. I love the freedom of worship that I have. I'm glad to be an American and I treasure my passport when I travel. Please, please don't run any further with that. But we do need to understand that we're born in a world that promotes individualism, higher reasoning, and that gets us in trouble with submission a whole lot of the time. And at some point, well, those two are gonna come head to head and we're gonna have to decide, does our reasoning, our individualism, our independence, does it get the kibosh? Or is God's word? Truth is very simple. The idea of having dominion is simply about enforcing God's authority. And you can't enforce God's authority if you don't have it. You can't have it if you're not under it. So I'm going to leave you today with a challenge. It was a point of inspiration. It's familiar to, to many if you've ever heard stories of the Bible. When Joshua was leading God's people into the promised land, the promised land was far from perfect. There were lots of enemies. There were other cultures. There were other gods, so to speak, that those cultures worshipped. And Joshua said, it's going to be dangerous living in this land. So as I send you today into the land and you go to make your lives, I challenge you. And his words were this, choose this day whom you will serve. That's for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. 
Many people have it on plaques. It's hanging above their door in their house. But you need to know it is nothing more than a meaningless piece of art if God's authority is not your highest authority. And so today, we begin the series. I close this message with a simple challenge. Choose this day the highest authority. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that even though we live in a world that it is a broken mess, we know that you do have the upper hand, that you are rescuing your children from their brokenness and their hurts, that you forgive us for our sins, that you heal our sicknesses, that you answer our prayers, that you do amazing things that bless us. So God, today we thank you for your goodness and we, we take this moment to say, God, would you forgive us for every moment that we've simply chosen our own way and we didn't understand. We thought it was just a moment of, of just being ourselves. We didn't understand that it was actually rebelling against you. We say, God, would you forgive us because we want your blessing in our lives. We want your authority in our lives. We want to be agents bringing your kingdom upon the earth. God, we thank you that you love us enough to answer that prayer. If you'll just stay in a place of prayer, I wanna to speak to those of you, as I said earlier, we're all born into the kingdom of darkness. And until the day where you ask Jesus to be your king or your Lord and savior, whatever words you choose, until that day, you are still trapped in the kingdom of darkness. If you have never made the exchange of the life you've been living for the one that Jesus died to give you, I wanna help you do that right now. I want to help make you a citizen of the kingdom of God. Wherever you are, at home or in this room, simply pray something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so today, I choose to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. My simple prayer today, would you fill me with your spirit and would you give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom? Amen. Would you all help me celebrate with them? Amen.